Hello, fried fan. I am so glad that you are back with us today, or maybe you're here for the first time, in which case I hope that your mind is blown within the next hour, because the thing that I love most about this podcast is the way that it helps people create better lives just by listening. I think it's totally incredible. I'm your host, Kate Donovan, and today I am talking to someone who is going to break down how she felt like she was judging herself as being a lazy person and why that wasn't true. We talk about sharing your actual real problems with your friends instead of feeling ashamed and guilty and self-judgmental about what you're going through. And we shift the conversation towards the end to talk a little bit about affiliate income and how you can use affiliate income to support your business and support yourself in a way that's so much easier than the hustle and the grind that we're all convinced that we need to be a part of. So I hope that you really enjoyed this episode. And without further ado, we will jump right in. Welcome to Fried, the burnout podcast. Fried is the podcast for everyone who has ever felt burnout because of their job, relationship, or life. Kate Donovan, burnout expert, We'll interview a new guest each week who will share their burnout stories with all the gory details. Every episode will give you immediate action steps that you can take right now if you're feeling fried and crispy around the edges. Fried's main goals are to raise burnout awareness, kill the associated shame, and create a movement to end burnout culture. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Fried the Burnout Podcast. I am your host, Kate Donovan. And today I am talking to Nicole Laloya, who is a therapist and a business strategist who helps women entrepreneurs build bigger businesses and create consistent income growth. She loves helping female entrepreneurs create multiple income streams that allow them the freedom to work less while still making more money. We love that over here at Fried. (laughs) Nicole got her master's in social work from Columbia University and loves Taco Tuesday and Apothic Wine. We can get together for a Taco Tuesday literally anytime. I'll even make them. (laughs) That sounds like a plan since we're both in New Jersey, right? Well, you guys, we just found out this morning that Nicole and I live about 20 minutes from one another. So (laughs) that's kind of funny. And Nicole and I are both part of a group on Facebook. We've done the same online business school and I've seen her name probably over the course of the last two or three years pop up now and again, now and again, now and again. So when she wrote to me to be on the podcast and she came up with a really exciting topic that we will get into, but I'm not going to share the secret yet. You can wait for it. When she came to me with a topic, I thought, yes, I definitely need to talk to her and I definitely need this topic to happen. So I'm super excited to get into it. So Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming. So excited to have you. And I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So we start off every episode by digging into your burnout story, what happened, what you went through, and then we will take it from there. Sounds perfect. So I actually, like you mentioned, got my master's in social work at Columbia University in New York. And pretty soon after I graduated, I was lucky to get a job. And I was very lucky with this job because as a as a social worker, um, you need a certain amount of clinical hours for your next license. And that allows you to then have a private practice. It just opens up more options for you. So I was lucky to get a job that offered me the clinical hours. So I was up in Harlem and I was working for a nonprofit agency, just doing counseling with kids and families. I was lucky to be located like my mental health clinic was in a school. So it was really easy to access the kids and work with them and develop deep relationships with them and their families. 
And it was really, really great <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> like so many people could probably relate with their jobs. But then as time went on, it just became, I noticed it was very bureaucratic. It was all about following these rules. It was all about quantity of clients, not quality of clients, not quality of work, I should say. It was all about quantity of, of seeing more clients, fitting in more sessions, decreasing time with, with them so that you could fit in more. Um, and it just became very frustrating to me. And I think what also was very frustrating was that there was not good management. I didn't have good support. There wasn't good leadership. They weren't acknowledging the work we were doing. They weren't supporting us with struggles or issues. And I'm the sort of person at jobs that I don't know. I think it's because I have a caretaker sort of personality. Um, everybody comes to me, <laughs> all my coworkers come to me and, you know, complain and vent. So not only was, were my issues weighing on me, but my coworkers, you know, issues and struggles and frustrations were weighing on me too. And shockingly, cause I don't feel like I'm outspoken, but I guess I am more so than I realized I would speak up about it to my supervisors and management. And I just felt like they started to think I was like a troublemaker that, you know, wouldn't shut up. And it just became very stressful for me. But what ended up happening was, I think around the two-year mark, I was just at, at my end of it, but I needed three years of clinical hours. And to try to find another job just to get that, you know, it just didn't make sense. So I really stuck out that last year to get the clinical hours. And a few months before I was there, I just started, you know, fantasizing and dreaming about what I was going to do when I got out of there. And I just couldn't see myself going to start another job right away because I was just frustrated and tired and I wanted an adventure. So I actually ended up um, going to South America, Venezuela to travel and volunteer for two months. And when I got back, I had actually moved from the city back to New Jersey. And when I got back, I just crashed. I was just like, I can never work in a nine to five. I can't go back to a nine to five. I'm not motivated. I'm a lazy person. I don't like working that way. There's something wrong with me. And I was also waiting for my license to come through. And this is where you see part of how the laziness affected me. Um, I had to apply for a license and, you know, New Jersey boards, paperwork. It was so ridiculous because they actually had to have me call up to request an application. And I would call up every day, couldn't get through anyone. No one returned your call. And I could also like send a letter in to request an application, but I was like so resistant because I was like, this, this can't be possible. And because of my burnout, which I honestly didn't even realize was burnout at the time, I was identifying as laziness and lack of motivation. I just refused to send that letter in. Finally, I did. But it ended up taking me a year to get my license. And once again, like I was incredibly burnt out during that time, but I just couldn't even see it. And I think too, just being a social worker, I felt like I had better strategies or it just wouldn't happen to me because I was knowledgeable about it. I just saw myself as I was a procrastinator, unmotivated and lazy. And it really did get to the point where, and this is so embarrassing, but I'm sure once again, people can act. I was just watching, like rewatching Dawson's Creek all day, every day and like Veronica Mars and things like that. And I just was not really functioning at my best level, but I just, once again, was identifying it as laziness. This is 
so important. A couple of things that you said are massively important. One of them is you took a trip and when you came back, you were like, I cannot do nine to five. Like, this is the story of my life. I met my husband while I was traveling in Argentina. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is very close to my heart. I always sort of knew that I wasn't a nine to fiver, but still after taking two, three month trips at a time, I was like, can't, I can't live that life. Like I just, I can't do it. And so that that's important to me because it resonates with me. But more importantly, something that resonates with a lot of my listeners, because so many of us are the helpers, like the helpers are burning out. The caretakers are burning out faster than everybody else because we are so accustomed to being in tune to other people's needs that we do not focus on our own needs. We do not take care of ourselves the right way. And we assume that because we're good at helping other people, we should feel good and we shouldn't burn out. And most of us have some sort of training. Like my training is Chinese medicine, but a third of my schooling is, is emotional, is all psychiatric, yeah. right? It's, it's all of that. And so I should have the tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I should, this shouldn't happen to me. So I'm talking on a daily basis to doctors, nurses, therapists, acupuncturists, you know, everybody, the helpers of mothers. Mm-hmm. And that person in the office who's always the one who's going to volunteer to take on that one extra project because they think that it will be helpful and, but they don't actually have the time or the bandwidth to, to take it on. So I think it's important to recognize that helpers will burn out faster than other people. So are you guys listening to this? I I know I said it four times already, but please (laughs) hear that, right? And they don't necessarily understand how to embody the wisdom that they have about helping other people. A lot of the wisdom is in their brains. They understand all the things that they could slash should be doing in order to take care of themselves, but it doesn't transfer from mental knowledge to like embodiment of that practice. Right. Totally. And I think too, when you're talking about caretakers burn out faster, I think like I also had a lot of embarrassment because, you know, I was sitting in my apartment binging Dawson's Creek and I was like, how is this possible? I've only had one full-time job in my life, you know, cause I went yeah. straight into grad school from college. So it was really like, go, 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 go. And like the other thing is as a social worker living in New York city, my initial income was like $37,000 a year, you know, with a master's degree from an Ivy League school. And you're just like making no money, which, which adds to stress. And, you know, your training as a social worker is that you won't make money. You shouldn't make money. You're, you're supposed to help people. You're not supposed to be wealthy. Yes. This is a huge part of the issue in the helping professions. And there's, there's a lot of factions in the acupuncture world, at least where people are, um, people that are charging low prices are really judgmental of people that are charging high prices and people that are charging high prices are like, but I need to like live. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, you don't need to have this, this and that, like you should be able to survive basically like a monk. Right. But like you said, actually I watched, um, one of your interviews that you did recently with Jalisha? Oh yeah, one of my clients, Jalisha, yeah. Yeah, she's awesome. And I was watching that interview and you were talking about that during that interview as well. Yeah. Right? So I, I feel like we get, like we just get caught up in it. Mm-hmm, totally. We just get caught up in it. So you've said a couple of times that you didn't know that you were burnt out and that you were sort of being judgmental of yourself, feeling like you were lazy and had a lack of motivation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. You know, my couch had an imprint 
in it from sitting there. And I think that's the thing, like everybody's recovery is different and I just needed to withdraw from life a little bit. And I think the other thing is that when you are that caretaker type of personality, you're not talking about it with other people. You withdraw from other people, except when you're still listening to them and supporting them. Like for me, I just won't open up about what's going on. You know, I'll be like, everything's great. Everything's fine. So I think that's the other thing. And once again, it wasn't something I could see in that moment. Now looking back at it, of course I could see it. But I think when you're going through it, you know, we just keep so much stuff in and it's easy to get caught up in our own judgments without hearing from other people like normalizing our situation or or even pointing out what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a big thing definitely for me. And I didn't actually realize this was a problem until my very closest friend, we had been really close friends for about seven years. I was uh, living in, I think I was already in Prague, but she's a very close friend of mine from Poland. And we were at a spa. Lovely, Mm -hmm. right? We're laying on a bed. Like we're not even looking at each other. We're like, this is like my favorite type of girlfriend moment. Laying on a bed or on the beach somewhere, both people staring up at the sky and just having a conversation, like not having, not needing to look at each other, just being able to like bear all. And we were laying there and she said, yeah, but Katie, you know, literally everything about me, like all my deepest, darkest, nastiest moments of my life you have witnessed. And I don't know anything about you. And I was like, what? Right. I talk about myself all the time. She was like, not really. <laughs> you probably talk when you do talk, it was probably the surfacey stuff. Surfacey stuff and things that I thought were vulnerable, but were wrapped in a package of, I already learned this lesson. Let me explain it to you mm-hmm. because I'm the helper. Yeah. Right. So I, I packaged my previous life lessons right. in, in a form that said, oh, look, I'm going to show you this vulnerability, but I'm also going to tell you immediately what I learned from it and how I grew from it. Yeah, Totally. Even if those things were, like I said, like in theory, they were in my head, but not necessarily embodied. Like I understood what should be happening. Mm -hmm. Right. So I said that, and I'm a very good acupuncturist and I'm a very good coach. Like (laughs) we're not supposed to say that we're not supposed to, it's like braggy, but I am very good at my job. And so these stories that I was telling people were useful. Yeah. Like they, I was changing people's lives by sharing this information. So I thought that I was being open. Right, right, totally. I, I have that issue as well. Where And my best friend was like, nope. Yeah, yeah. You do have close friends and things like that, but once again, there's still like a wall up where yeah. you're like, I'm not gonna make myself vulnerable or need help from these people. Instead, I'm gonna watch Dawson's Creek for three months straight. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, Casey. <laughs> I mean, right? We could all get on board with that. <laughs> I mean, maybe not all of us, but I can definitely get on board with that. I was (laughs) hashtag Dawson's Creek obsessed before it was popular to binge watch television. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But then the thing that keeps popping up is like this, this judgment about the process that we're going through, like, because you're supposed to be able to handle it because that, 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 but there's so many factors. So you're in this place and you're judging yourself for being lazy, for lacking motivation. You're also in a situation that has poor management and not enough finances. Like you can't live in New York Mm -hmm. on $37,000 a year. It's Mm -hmm. one of my friends is looking at an apartment right now, two bedroom apartment. I know it's crazy. Not even close. No, just paying for that apartment is double what that salary would be, you know? So was there a moment where you were like, 
this really isn't right. I think that I just slowly came out of it again. There wasn't even a moment until until later on. Like I slowly came out of it. I got my license. I found a part-time job where I had previously worked with the people. And then I found almost like contracting jobs, which is rare as a social worker. So I never did go back to that nine to five. And I just felt more in control of things. I felt more in control of my finances. I felt more in control of my time. I had that flexibility. Like I still ended up working a lot, but it didn't feel like work because I just enjoyed it so much more. And I did that for a few years. And then eventually, you know, I think I got my motivation and momentum back. And what was interesting was I started a private practice as a therapist. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I just recreated the nine to five. Like I have to be here in the office from specific hours and see the same clients every week. And it just scared me. And at least this time I was like able to identify it in advance before before I got into deep, but I was like, Oh my gosh, like I'm becoming that poor management now, like that poor manager for myself. Like I'm not looking out for or protecting myself. So that's sort of the moment where I was able to start to make some changes early on in my business model so that I didn't fall into that trap again. Yeah. And so this is a really difficult thing for people to wrap their heads around often because it's not everybody has an entrepreneurial spirit. Right. Not everybody is thinks that it's okay to be creative about the way that you want to live your life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So how were you able to make that decision? Because you had some, like for me, I'll, I'll say in my life, like my father has always owned his own business and most of the time it was losing money, but it didn't matter <laughs> to him necessarily because he had control. Yeah. And I got that lesson from a young age that like, if you if you can, you can make things how you want them to be, if you want them to be that kind of like, that was really instilled in me. So it wasn't weird for me to look at my job at some point and be like, just like you said, you know, um, when you wrote in your, in the application for, for being a guest in the intake form and you said, you know, uh, trading time for money. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I didn't have to do that, but every single acupuncturist that I knew was opening a private practice and seeing patients one-on-one and seeing as many patients as they could within a week. And, you know, so I copied that same model because that's what I saw available. So how, how did you allow yourself the freedom to create something that wasn't the traditional model? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, didn't have any models for the non-traditional. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, th- and this is, and this is the question yeah. because I know that there are people out there that are saying, well, this is the only way you you can do my job. Right. And every time I talk to them as clients, I'm like, no, no, there's more options. I and they're know. like, what are they? And I'm like, well, let's think some up, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So how did you get, how did you do that? Well, process? somehow, ironically, I came across the business program that we both have done, mm-hmm. which is B-School. And I don't even know how I came across it, but I came across it originally when I was first starting my practice, my private practice, which at that time was was a part-time private practice. I had another part-time job for health insurance and stuff like that. And I came across um, the program, which is B-School for Women Entrepreneurs. And I just felt really connected to it. But at that time, I didn't sign up because once again, I was a therapist with a specific model. So I was like, how would I have an online business? Like, I just couldn't see it. Right. So I did end up working with like a business coach and doing some other programs throughout the year to help me with with the therapist business model, but like, I still was so drawn to having other income streams, 
I started to be drawn to coaching and consulting because I felt it was more creative than that therapy in a box situation. Mm -hmm. And um, I just discovered more passive income streams. And I did sign up for B-School the following year. I like brushed to sign up because I finally felt like, okay, it's worth the money to see if this is a possibility for me. And once I got into B-School, I was attracted to the multiple income streams. I wrote a book. I created a course. I really became good at bringing in affiliate income, which was really fun because that's what I feel is the most passive (laughs) source. And then I started running groups and masterminds, which this is what I love is, you know, I never viewed myself as a creative person. My parents were creative. My brother was creative. They could do artistic things. You know, my mom sewed. She could make whatever she wanted. My dad, you know, could do projects and do art and stuff like that. You know, he actually painted that picture behind oh, cool. Yeah. I just never had enjoy those things. I like to read books, you know? <laughs> once I really went through the program and once I really started changing my business model, I realized I was creative in a different way. And it cur- encouraged me to try new things like, like group programs, which I thought I would never do or run because again, I had bad leadership models before, but now they're one of my favorite things to do. I think that's also a big piece of recovering from burnout is discovering your creativity. We all have it and allowing us to have, you know, it allows us to have fun in what we're doing, whether it's a business or a hobby or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of the things that the the woman that runs B-School, her name is Marie Forleo for the people that are out there. And one of the things that Marie does with her team is she asks them a question that starts out by saying, wouldn't it be cool if dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. And that's how they come up with ideas that they think will be fun in their business. And so I ask myself that question now as part of my business, wouldn't it be cool if, wouldn't it be fun if, so that I can have more fun on a day-to-day basis? Because when I have more on, and honestly, when I have, I'm having more fun, I get more yeah, clients. I love so that. It's like, yeah. it's, it's easy. It's like a win, win, win for everybody. Right. I get, those people get help because they're attracted to me because I'm in a good mood. I'm in a good mood because I'm working on being in a good mood. And then I have a better income because I'm having more fun and everything is working. So I really enjoy injecting fun into my business on purpose. And, and I'm the same as you. I'm a voracious reader. Like I, I read at least 60 books a year. Like I'm a book a week at least kind of person. So I, I rush through books in a big, big way. And I didn't also not creative unless we're talking cooking. Like I knew that I was creative in the kitchen, I am the person that you want. If you have no food in your house, like I will create you a gourmet oh meal. Gosh, I love I it. Love so fun That's for me. So awesome. I'm definitely coming for so tacos fun. then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we actually had tacos this week. So I knew I was creative in that way, but I didn't consider myself creative in any other way. And it was yeah. also for me, the going through B-School and seeing the possibilities like I didn't even know that the job virtual assistant existed before I went through B school. There were I when I first went through B school, I didn't even spend the next year creating my business. I spent the next six months being like, "Oh my God, there's so many possibilities." Right. I was just reading posts in the group, <laughs> in the Facebook group. Exactly. And there's so that was a huge expansive moment for me where I realized that there were so many options or so many ways that I could take the knowledge that I had and apply it to different things, different people, yeah. whatever it was, and things that I had literally never imagined before. And things that didn't exist 15 years ago, right. to be honest. Right. I was like, so you- I wish this 
which I guess B-School was actually around the time that I had yeah, left my left yeah. my job a few years before. But I was like, oh, I just wish I had found this like even sooner, you know? Yeah. But everything happens at a, you know, yeah, time for that a reason. But yeah, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I wish I had gotten a few more years ahead start. Yeah, but me too. I probably wouldn't me have too. been confident back then enough to do it. I agree, but I also wish that I had the information earlier. And it's, and it's the reason that I'm dragging this out a little bit because I want people to hear that no kind of no matter what your job is, like there's a way to do it differently. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be an entrepreneur. I really love that you went into B school with the question, like, is this applicable for me? It's a two thousand dollar course. So it's not the cheapest and it's not the most expensive because we've both done courses that, <laughs> that cost more than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it is a sig- very significant investment. To make, if you're not sure if it's going to be applicable to you, but going into it with that question puts you in that sort of beginner mind that they talk about in Zen Buddhism, right? Where your mind is just like blank and you're looking at it and you're saying, what's possible? What can I learn? Like, how can I apply this? Right. So I think that that's super, super powerful. Hey, fried friend. Did you know, did you know that you, yes, you can book a free call with me to find out if working together will help you heal your burnout faster than, well, faster than you can DIY it. Burnout can take up to three years to heal. And I've even heard of people telling me that it took them longer. And the long end of that range is for people who burnt out doing it all by themselves and then trying to heal doing it all by themselves. You deserve support and you deserve to get through this as fast as possible. I want to be that support for you and I want to super speed your healing so that you can get back to your life ASAP. Book a free 30-minute call, and let's get this ending burnout party started. You can book your call at bit.ly forward slash call Kate. That's bit.ly forward slash call Kate. So you went through B-School, you started changing things, and how did that make you view yourself in terms of like, you know, I'm a lazy person, I don't have any motivation? Yeah, I think eventually I just realized that it wasn't laziness, it was just the wrong setting for me, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that would have happened again if I stuck only with private practice, to be honest, because I think the other thing is my travels, which had been a big part of starting healing from the work burnout, but then still coming back to a different kind of life burnout, which is like, yeah. what the heck do I do next? This was wrong for me. I don't know what to do. I think that then I realized I also wanted more opportunity for travel too. Right. So that was another thing that was like, I'm going to get so burnt out again if I'm in this office and if every time a client cancels, I'm stressed about money. If I want to take a week off, I'm stressed about money. Um, I feel like I'm losing money, you know. Because you are when you own a private You are, practice. absolutely. You're still paying rent and you don't have any income. Exactly. So I knew that I, you know, once I was in B-School and I saw what other people were doing, I knew that I wanted to work in other income streams to give me safety and security and consistent income growth. And ironically, that's what people ended up coming to me for for help with and that's what I help and then that's what you created with now um but in the beginning I had no no clue yeah yeah this was a really important piece for me as well there's a lot of parallels in our stories I've spent a lot of my life traveling I mean 
Yeah, it's how my husband in Argentina. I was gone for three months. We lived in Warsaw for six years. I lived in California for five years. We lived in Prague for six years. I've spent probably six to eight months in China over time. And when in Europe, there's like the, the standard amount of vacation that is it's not really federally mandated like eu mandated you have to have 24 days a year so that's five that's five basically five full weeks a year and because i owned my own business i was taking usually eight and then i was taking another four weeks out of the year where i was traveling to a different country to see private patients oh okay that that paid me to come in and treat them for a couple of weeks at a time and so i was out of my office for 12 weeks a year And that meant that I needed to have enough money coming in to cover my rent while I wasn't in my office. And so so we want to save money too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I was like kind of going through this process and thinking, I'm probably not ever going to travel less than I travel now. Right. Even if it's a staycation, like when I shut down, I'm off. Mm -hmm. Good. So, (laughs) yeah, right. This is one of the ways that I avoid burnout. even though I was traveling a lot when I burnt out, but still. So I had to create this system where I didn't have to be totally stuck to an office all the time because that's just not the way that I envisioned my life. Even though the lesson is, you know, travel while you're in college because once you start working, it's over. Mm -hmm. Especially if you grew up in the States because if you have anything more than 10 days vacation a year, you're one of the lucky ones, which is like total insanity. insanity. But that is the American system. So basically the whole, the thing that I heard my whole life was like, get your traveling in, get your traveling in, get your traveling in. Even though I grew up in a very poor family, we did not have money to travel, but I saved pennies from bartending to buy plane tickets. Like I, I always made it happen somehow. And I felt like I got to a point and I was like, well, I don't really want to stop doing this. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to like fit in all my travel between 20 and 25 so that I can travel again when I'm 65. I don't want a 40 year break. Yeah. And that was like for me too, because I had that extended trip and that extended time to soak up another country's culture. I was like, oh my God, I can't not have this experience again. Like I didn't want to do a one week resort trip anymore. You know, I wanted to be able to do trips that were more extensive and allowed me to really get to know the culture and get to have that experience. I think like right after I did B-School, actually, I ended up going to spend a month in Costa Rica and it was partially funded by affiliate income, income that I didn't even really have to do any work for, you know, and I had a nice, like, I think it was like $5,000 come in. Great. Which in Costa Rica for a month is more than (laughs) enough. I I did Costa Rica for a month for like 1200 bucks. Well, and especially because one of my new B-School friends lived there and let me stay with her for a week. It was perfect. Yeah. I love that so much. So this keeps coming up and I want to talk about it a little more because there might be people listening. A lot of people that that listen are entrepreneurs, but I do have like a really wide gamut of Mm -hmm. listeners because burnout is such a big topic. So you keep saying the words affiliate income and I know what you mean, but some other people out there might not. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Affiliate income is almost like a commission or referral referral fees. So, you know, when you go to like a nice store like Nordstrom's and everybody's rushing to help you pick out your shoes because <laughs> they get commission, they get, they get a fee if you, you buy your shoes there. And then when they say who helped you and you say their name, they get 
have extra money. So affiliate income is very similar where if you sell someone else's product or service, or you can even be an affiliate for Amazon, when somebody buys it through your link, you get a special website link, you get part of that fee. And this is what was really amazing was that as a therapist, I was like, oh my gosh, I can never make affiliate income. Like I'm so, I'm so jealous because B-School has a big affiliate program. Like I bought B-School through an affiliate. So I got like extra bonuses, got a live event to go to. It was really a win-win. Yeah. Some people initially think affiliate income are here and think it's like sleazy, but I was like, this is awesome. This is helping me. This person, you well, know, and Marie is very generous with her. Yeah. It's like income. 50%. So it's 50%. They get a thousand dollars for every, everyone right. they sell. So yeah. I was like, this is, this is huge. And I saw that the person had 300 people in her private Facebook group. So I was like, she just made like $300,000 for yeah. someone else's program. That was really my introduction. And as a therapist, I was like, well, that's out for me because I can't sell anything to my clients. Like that's unethical. I just figured it was out for me. And what ended up happening ironically was that the person who I bought through as their affiliate, we got access to her course. It was all about launching a program, her program. And then she had an affiliate option for us. And what I loved about it was like, if we just shared a link to her webinar, a free training for people and people ended up buying, I would get, I think it was like $500 or it might've even been, it might've been like 750, same thing, like 50% affiliate fee. And once again, I was like, I just shared it on my Facebook page because I had other entrepreneurs there. I was like, oh, this might be helpful to some of them. Like I never expected to sell a single one. And then she sent out an email, like top affiliate referrals. And I was like, number five. And I was like, wow. At that point, it was just like for the free webinar, bringing people in for the free webinar. But I was like, wow, there's actually a chance I might make some money from this and support her and bring people to her amazing program and support the people who are buying it because I'm introducing something to them that's really helpful. Yeah. That's awesome. So do you still do affiliate work now that you're further along in your business? Absolutely. I mean, if there's resources that are helpful for my clients or just my audience, like I'm happy to, to share it with them. I mean, one year it made up like 25% of my income. You can really be effective. And now I can give bonuses. I could give like access to my courses. Right now I like recurring affiliate income. So for example, if if you have like a software or maybe you're someone's membership or something like that, I use ConvertKit for for my email service to send my audience emails. So they have a recurring affiliate program. So you get 30% of whoever signed up through your link every month. So now like that I have, you know, forever, as long as people keep using ConvertKit, I get 30% of their fee. And as they get more subscribers in the fee, their fee increases, my referral fee increases. Yeah. Kajabi has this program as well. And you know, the truth is I want to buy through people's affiliate links. If someone is introducing me to something, then I am perfectly happy to support them and buy through their affiliate link and make sure that they get that referral fee. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had affiliates for my programs too, you know, for when I've done courses. And once again, like I'm so grateful to them. I don't see anything scammy or sleazy about it. No. When I started, um, I went through B-School and I was, I spent like 
uh, you know, the past three years, basically creating a platform. Mm -hmm. And I was still focused on on one on one work until fairly recently when I started building out more courses. And one of the courses I realized I was like, oh, this is actually kind of a big one. But one of the reasons that I would use affiliate marketing, I haven't started yet, but one of the reasons that I will in the future is not necessarily to is because I know that this course is going to help people. And I know that my platform alone is not going to reach all the people that it can help. Right. So I want other people to share it, not because I need to make more money off of it, but because I know that this is a tool that is useful for people that I don't have access to. Mm -hmm. And if people that are not me can share it and get more attention to it, then that's amazing. Right. And truthfully, when you have an audience that loves and believes in your work they're, and gets results from it, they're yeah. going to want to share it naturally anyway. So why exactly. not reward them for that? Yeah. Reward them and keep a sales process going that you don't have to be totally involved in mm -hmm. all the time, yeah. right? Because other people are doing that, that bit for you and that's what they get paid for. Right. Like it is, they do have to promote it a little bit. Like, so yeah, it's sharing a link, which is not a lot of effort. I'm not saying that it's difficult, but it does take off as, as the person who's offering the affiliate link. It also does take some pressure off because you know that other people are, are out there sharing your stuff. Like right now I'm getting my launch team ready. By the time this is out, we will be one month before the book comes out. Oh so God. we will be definitely mid launch. Okay. People will be bombarded with all things, the bounce back ability factor um, by the time this comes out. But during that process, I have 50 people that are signed up to help me promote oh, the book. Yeah. Right. Because you need that many people because I can't do it all by myself, you guys. And I think this is another thing about burnout, especially the helpers among us, especially those of us that are not usually willing up to open up to those vulnerable pieces and share what we're going through is that we also don't really love asking for help. Right. Exactly. And what I think you need to understand as an entrepreneur is that if you are going to scale, you literally cannot do it by yourself. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> you just can't. Well, I think fortunately, but I'd be a millionaire by now. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Me too. But you cannot do it by yourself. And allowing space for other people to come in and support you allows you to grow in ways that you would never even imagine. Like, the fact that of the 50 people on my launch team, there's about 14 of them that I know fairly well, but they're from different times of my life. Maybe I haven't spoken to them in 12 years, right. but they volunteered to do this. Like, cool. And there's another, you know, 35 people that I like don't really know. Right. Right. But they're from B school yeah. or from, you know, like from the wherever. Like podcast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like these are people that I don't know. So that means that that this book will be able to reach people that have no connection to me and be able to help people that I don't have access to right now. And I think that that's fucking magical. Yeah. And it's, it's honestly, you know, selfish in a way to not get your stuff out there when it could help. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. I think that when we're creating products and services and you know, initially you're just helping a few people, let's be honest, yeah. or you're helping one, your friends on one-to-one. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when you're seeing that they're getting results and they're happy with the results and they're telling you that, you know, it really is, is selfish to not put your services out there more, to not reach new people, to not share your skills yeah. and knowledge. Because the thing is we have skills and knowledge. We're, we're experts, you know, we're all experts and really good at something that other people are not good at yet. 
and that need the support. Yeah. And if they can't find the support because they can't find you, mm -hmm. you're doing them a disservice. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's so fun. <laughs> I, I love this conversation. It's so, fun. It's, a good conversation. <laughs> it's so fun for me. And I think that it's really important to talk about the financial aspect of burnout. We don't talk about this a lot because what I find personally with my clients, and it might just be because those are the people that I attract because that's where I was when I burnt out is they are high achievers that are not worried about the money. Mm -hmm. Right. So I burnt out when I was at the top of my game financially. Yeah. And I got there and I was like, all right, I'm killing it financially. I'm paying back my American student loans from Poland where I can only charge $35 for an acupuncture treatment, mm -hmm. but I'm doing so much work that I'm paying this off in 10 years instead of 30 putting money in my savings account. I can travel whenever I want. Like I'm killing it. Right. But I hate, but I hate my life. Yeah. Well, as a social worker, that was not the case for me. And the financial cost of burnout for me was that it wasn't like I was saving tons of money as a right. social worker. And I grew up loving to save money, loving to save my allowance, like loving yeah. to, I had multiple jobs as a teenager. Some of my paychecks went straight into saving. Mm -hmm. And that was like the money that I use, like my high school jobs supporting me during that year. Cause I certainly wasn't getting paid to watch Dawson's Creek all day. Unfortunately, <laughs> I still think I should have gone into a job with entertainment somehow. Maybe one day I'll figure it out. There's still time. <laughs> but like I was down to my last dollars before. And then I was like, holy shit. Like, yeah, I have to do something yeah. to get out of this. That's really important. And, but I also think that what you were saying earlier about being in New York city, being a social worker and getting paid $37,000 a year, like not having a layer of financial stability can add to burnout. Yeah, that definitely. Not, right. That wasn't part of my story, but it, it can happen because when you have that underlying constant stress, like burnout is the end of a road of chronic stress. Whether that chronic stress is because you don't have enough self-belief, whether it's because you have a shitty manager or whether it's because you don't have enough money to pay your damn bills mm -hmm. doesn't like, I mean, it matters in the recovery process, but it can all still lead there. Right. So I think the fact that you can do whatever it is you're doing differently somehow, mm -hmm. you might not see it right now, but there is somebody else that has seen it. And if you need ideas, you know, go uncle Google he has <laughs> some, he has some ideas. You can earn money through affiliate marketing which requires you to share other people's courses better if you've done them and you really believe in them because it makes it's your about being authentic for sure. Yeah. You have to be real about it. So if there's something that you're into and there's an affiliate program, then do it, like figure it out. And sometimes it's just like a referral for people who have jobs. You may be like, well, yeah. how am I going to do this? I don't have an audience. Like your, your gym, not that many people are going to the gym right now, but your gym might yeah, be like, Hey, introduce a friend and get a free month or something like that. Right. Or your credit card might be like, Hey, I know my credit card is like, Hey, if you get people sign up for this, you get 5,000 extra points. Even Xfinity like is like, if you sign up oh, an yeah. internet user, yeah. you get, like, yeah. it's like 150 bucks yeah. or something. Absolutely. Like, so look for those opportunities. If you're signing up for something, ask your friends if they have it first, like start to put it yeah. out there so you could even help other people yeah. on Facebook and just be like, Hey, I'm switching cable companies to Verizon. Does anybody have it? And if you sign up, you get 50 bucks and I get 50 bucks. Yay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, you know, everybody can get behind that. Yeah. Accountants, bookkeepers, they all, yeah. a lot of them have programs for this. Right. So there's so many ways to 
create more abundance for yourself in your life where if part of your burnout story is that you are constantly stressed about money, mm -hmm. then focusing on this bit for a little while might give you some of the cushion that you need in order to feel safer making other changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm really glad that we talked about yeah. this. And I think what you're saying is so true. It was hard to do self-care in some ways living in New York City on that income but you know I also found substitutes like I would go down to Chinatown on the weekends and eat at the dollar food court and then walk walk up to 34th street and just get that time outside but certainly i wasn't like eating at the best restaurants in right New York. or having an acupuncture appointment every week right or having acupuncture or buying a 14 dollar cocktail <laughs> yeah. i do love a well-crafted cocktail but now uh, now i can treat myself to that but back then <laughs> like yeah that was not even that was like outrageous for me yeah, I was really lucky during most of the time where I was like really struggling financially. I was really lucky to be a bartender. <laughs> <laughs> so I could always have a well-crafted cocktail oh, good for because you. bartenders stick together, you know, like you walk into a bar and we all know each other. So we all know each other. And I was working, my last bartending job was in San Diego when I was uh, finishing my master's oh, degree. In yeah. And I worked on this, like the strip of bar street, Garnet for anybody in San Diego that might be listening. Yeah, I've been there. I worked on Garnet and it was like, I worked from 10 PM to 2 AM and I knew every bartender on the street for those yeah. years that there, because that's, those yeah. were the people that we connected so with. I mean, we even went camping together as a group of bartenders. Oh my gosh. We should have seen the cocktails we created in the oh woods. Oh my God. And I'm definitely going yes. for Taco Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know I've said that a couple times though. You really should. <laughs> so this has been super fun. I was not expecting to go into affiliate marketing and finances today, but it's making me realize that it's not something that we've talked about a lot on the podcast and I might need to dig into it with somebody. So, I mean, we did, I did talk to Denise DT about money mindset stuff, mm -hmm. but I think I'm going to need an episode that's more focused on finances. Um, so I'm excited to have this thought in my head. I like that. And I really love your story. And I really love that you sort of allowed yourself to do what I call sitting in the muck. You went down, you watched your Dawson's Creek for, <laughs> you know, however many months, like uh, Pacey. Yeah. And you went through that and you allowed yourself to go through that. And, but when it was time to figure shit out, you dug your heels in, you figured it out and you found a way to create something for yourself. That's in much more alignment with who you are as a person than a typical nine to five job. That's going to give you 11 days vacation right. a year. So I think that that's a really powerful story because you did start as a social worker and social workers do not have typically a lot of options when it comes to finishing school. Yeah. Like you're pretty much going to do this or this. You're pretty much going to make around 50 grand a year, kind of no matter where you live, much less in some places. Mm -hmm. And that's about, and that's the end of the story. You're supposed to be happy with it because you're helping right. people. Right. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I think it's really powerful for people to hear that there are different ways, better options and different plans and a different route. So thank you so much for sharing that. As we wind down, I do that very typical thing that everybody does at the end of a podcast. And I ask them if you had something to share with people, like if you were on a stage right now and there's 3000 people in front of you and you had to give them a piece of advice that you thought would change their lives. Well, don't look for a magical moment to get out of burnout. For some people, it's not like lightning strikes and you're out of it. Like I said, I didn't have that moment. I just slowly crawled out of it a little bit at a time after Dawson's Creek ended. <laughs> not even that quick. 
Yeah, it took me months. It took me a couple of years. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, that initial time was at least a solid a solid year before I started like coming back into society and starting yeah. to add in work again and and things like that. And I can't even believe it in hindsight. But there's no magical moment. And then for the entrepreneurs out there, and even you know, for people who have jobs. Think about how you can create some extra income that doesn't require you to necessarily work for hours or, you know, I think for entrepreneurs, think about how you could increase your income so you don't have all those one-to-one clients because that's the thing in terms of business owners that I work with that's burning them out the most is the one-to-one hours. And if you have a job, there's still things like investments and stocks and CDs to put your money to work for you, retirement funds. Um, So take advantage of those opportunities as well. Yeah. I had a conversation with somebody recently who said, if you can put away literally 20 bucks a month right now into some sort of stock, like put away 20 bucks a month. Yeah. I have like an automatic, I use an app called Stash and I just like automatically withdraw $10 a week into it. I don't even think about it. You know, it automatically withdraws and then I get to go in and play around. It's it's just play money. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. But it adds up over time. Mm -hmm. It adds up over time and that matters. So I think that that's wonderful. Nicole, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for reaching out to me and uh, asking to be on the podcast because you have been a gem. And I am so glad that you are so close to me in Jersey. And I cannot wait until we can do a Taco Tuesday together. Yes. Thank you for having me too. I've had a blast. Awesome. Thank you. Well, my fried friends, that finishes up another episode of fried the burnout podcast and as always i love to see your feedback so please leave a review on itunes or send us some feedback at kate underscore donovan on instagram i love hearing from you and i love connecting with you on instagram you can also follow fried on instagram so that you know exactly what's going on every single week fried on instagram is at fried the burnout podcast all one word so if you look us up there i would love to connect with you and today is august 16th that means there is one more month until my book comes out the bounce back ability factor so keep that in mind and i'm going to keep reminding you because i want you all to have it because i have been getting the initial feedback from the first round readers before the book is released and it's probably a little more powerful than even I imagined. So I can't wait for all of you to get it. All right, until next time.